Welcome to the podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show is sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at Gemmer.com. I'm on the line with Levi Betweiser for the Rescued Film Project. How are you, Levi? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. I really love what you're doing here. And why don't you just start out by telling the audience, listening audience what exactly are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Um, the, the Rescued Film Project is a passion project I started about two years ago. Um, I'm a film photographer by trade, and I develop on my own film, and um, I also do a lot of thrift shopping. So, you know, when I was going to thrift stores, I would always inherently just walk by the camera section. And what I noticed was a lot of the cameras had rolls of film still left in them, usually those kind of cheaper 35-millimeter cameras. And I figured since I could process my own film and I could do it for relatively cheap, that uh, maybe I'd start collecting them. And as soon as I had a batch big enough, I would start processing the film just to see what was on them, just out of sheer curiosity. When I got a batch of about 30 to 40 rolls, I processed it all. And what I noticed from the images was that they were all moments in time that seemed like people would want to remember. They were always happy moments, family gatherings, and things like that. And that's really what sparked my passion for the project. And what we do is we actively search for rolls of film that have been exposed or had pictures taken on them uh, but have never been processed or developed. And we find those rolls, and we then process and develop the rolls of film to rescue the images that they contain. Yes, and I love it. And your website, why don't you just throw that throw that out, if you would? Yeah, our website is simply rescuedfilm.com, rescued past tense. With the first time you did this, is it something like you bought a camera? Is that is that what you're saying, that actually had film in it, or you just noticed this? Yeah, well, I've been collecting cameras for years, old cameras, new cameras, anything I thought was cool. And then, yeah, I eventually started noticing that some of them had film still left in them. Um, and so I, I w- before opening the camera, I would wind it up so as not to expose the film. And then, yeah, process them. And that's really how it started, was just kind of happening uh, upon rolls of film in cameras. And we hear stories like that all the time. People do the same thing. They collect cameras, and they find rolls of film, and they have no idea what to do with them. And since they found the project, they've been sending it to us. You know, I I had taken a trip across country when I was pretty young, you know, like 20 or something, and with a girlfriend, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years after we broke up, I found a undeveloped roll of film, and it was really it was really very awesome to see. It actually came out, and I, and I was surprised by that. So, what is your recovery, uh, let's say, percentage of success? You know, there, it's, it's hard to say. Um, there is no way to quantify exactly the amount of success. But I can probably say that for every role uh, that we actually get images on, there are generally three to five roles that we get nothing on. Um, and that, that, that does range. Sometimes it's, we have a significantly higher ratio. Sometimes we have less. Um, but, yeah, once again, it all depends. We have no idea what these rules of film have gone through over the past several years. Obviously, heat, moisture, temperature changes, things like that really can dictate what kind of images you get or how high quality uh, of negatives you can get after the development process. Uh, what I can tell you, though, is we actually have a higher ratio of recovering older black and white images from the 40s, 50s, and 60s than I do from color images from the 70s, 80s, and 90s because color film does not hold up well. Uh, does not hold up as well um, as the older black and white film. Now, what is the earliest film role that you successfully developed? You know, I have no way of knowing exactly the date in which some of the images were taken. I can date the emulsion type, um, and I could 
roughly guess that probably our earliest earliest role that we've successfully processed is probably late 30s. And I say successfully processed does not mean that I have an awesome, super dense negative that has an amazing quality image on it. It really just means that we were able to rescue images off that roll, no matter what the quality. Now, are you the the part that really intrigued me about this whole thing is the historic part of it. Uh, and for instance, let's go into some of that. Maybe as far as World War II goes, can you tell me something about those uh, discoveries? So about three weeks ago, we released a video documenting us processing 31 rolls of World War II film shot by an American soldier. And since that, the project has taken off um, virally, and people have really people's first introduction to the project really has been those 31 rolls and those images from World War II. And they're just incredible images. I mean, you see photos of soldiers standing waiting for trains on boats coming back into Boston Harbor. You see them. Uh, with tanks over in France, over in the beaches of Normandy with the white cliffs. And they're just really just stunning images. They do seem to be from more of an occupation time during the war, not necessarily during combat. There are no combat photos in there whatsoever. Um, it just seems to be more travel photos of soldiers. So we are still trying to pinpoint exactly what's happening or, or when and why these pictures were taken and who took them. Um, but we've started to be able to identify a lot of the locations that the photos were taken. And I do want to say that the World War II images are amazing, and they do document a large historical event that has significance to many, many people. But really, that's a very small part of the Rescued Film Archive. Um, we see every image that's ever been taken on film as being a small piece of history, right? It's one-sixtieth of a second of someone's life, every photo that's taken. And so while the World War II images are historically significant and are really incredible, uh, we feel that all the images we've rescued have the kind of the same weight of significance, Yes, there's some type of saying that goes back to the late 19th century, something like a, a, a picture makes the prisoner of the present moment or something like that. It's really, I, I love looking at early images to begin with, uh, all the way back to the daguerreotypes. And, you know, you're just looking into the eyes of people that, you know, are, are basically long gone, and you just wonder what their lives were like. You, you kind of wonder what the story is, and... That's the wonderful part about images in general. I consider that anyway. Now, moving on to where you get these things, have you got any undeveloped roles from anywhere, like, say, in Europe? Or is this mostly just, I mean, originating from someone finding something in Europe and sending it to you? Or is it all just in the States so far? The origin of the majority of the roles we've rescued are from the States, yes, but we do have a good selection of images um, from outside the United States. We've got images, um, we've got rolls of film yet to be processed from Canada. Um, we've developed rolls from Australia, the UK, Greece. Um, I believe we've just had a couple um, rolls donated to us from France. And I think there's a batch on its way from Mexico as well um, from a rescued film project fan. So it, it is definitely expanding overseas. Our overseas presence since the launch of the World War II video has um, increased exponentially. And so we've been getting a lot of international presence, which is awesome. I know people are a little bit um, weary about sending film uh, that far over the mail because of x-ray scans and how it can fog the film. And so we give them some recommendations on how they can ship it to us so that they can uh, best be saved. Or if they aren't comfortable with that, trying to find them an outlet over in their region to uh, process the film for them. 
Okay. Also, the listener to the show in our show notes are right under our podcast. We'll have a link directly to the video that Levi is speaking about. Um, all right. Say I'm I'm traveling somewhere and I go through a store and I happen to see some vintage cameras in the 60s or say 40s or 60s or something. I find film. How? What do I do? If if you a lot of times, obviously, if you come across a camera of any type that has film in it, odds are it has not been completely exposed. It's only a half. Mm-hmm. It's only a roll that's been half taken. So generally, you do not want to open the back of that camera to pull the film out because you will destroy all the images that are on there. So the very first thing you do if you happen upon a camera, if you can, is wind up the film complete to completion. That way, it's completely wound up. It's either in the canister or it is um, wrapped up in the paper backing. And that's the best way to remove a roll of film. Generally, though, when you do find film in a camera, whoever's selling it will not sell you the film separate from the camera. (laughs) If you can talk them into that, that would be awesome. That way you don't have to spend as much unless you really want the camera. That's great. Um, But obviously the cost is more when you include the camera. So you'd either have to purchase the roll of film by itself or the camera with the roll of film. And then at that point, obviously we do accept contributions to the Rescued Film Project, and we get sent rolls of film every day um, from people who do happen upon rolls like that and aren't interested enough in the uh, what might be on there for the expense of processing. It can be very expensive if you go to a normal processing service to get some of these rolls of film developed. And if you don't have a personal tie or connection with that roll of film, generally people aren't as interested in spending those funds. So what we do at the Rescued Film Project is we process all contributed film absolutely free of charge. You just have to pay to ship it to us. And then once we recover any images off that roll of film, we then send you back digitally all the images that we rescue um, absolutely free. Wow, that's amazing. Now, I've been in the auction business all my life, and I know that I've seen in many estates where you clean them out, you know, when you're going through things to throw away, um, you'll see rolls taped up that have never been developed. You know, that that's just, they're, they're just there usually. And, of course, boxes of slides and, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, all, all memories gone by, and a lot of times you're right, there's no... There's no connection with uh, families anymore when people, you know, the end of a, a, a line of a family. Um, but the undeveloped stuff is, uh, to me, it's almost like uh, almost like my last podcast, which was about a time capsule. It's kind of a time capsule in a way. You must be really excited each and every time you, you do this. Can you kind of explain what the process is? Yeah, um, and you're right. They, they definitely are time capsules. I sometimes feel like an archaeologist kind of uncovering or unearthing these amazing undiscovered things. Um, the, way, the way the processing works is I currently, right now, we probably have over 1,000 rolls of film from various areas and emulsion types uh, still yet to be processed, just waiting right now. We have more coming in every day. Huh. Um, so what we do is we really prioritize on the volume Um, based on the emulsion type to process. So let's say we have a very large amount of black and white uh, film to process over maybe, let's say, 35-millimeter color, then we will do the black and white in in the next batch. The way the batches work is I pretty much develop for 18 hours straight in a day and just get as much done in that amount of time in that amount of time as I can. Um, and then at that point, um, you know, it takes me 18 hours to do that, that batch. And then they have to dry overnight. And then I begin the scanning process and one batch of uh, film development takes around 35 minutes. It takes 24 hours to dry. And then the scanning process takes three to four times as long as the batch 
does. So the scanning process is actually quite a bit more time consuming than the actual development process. And so I can generally turn around a batch, depending on my current workload, since this isn't my full-time job, I can generally turn around a batch from processing to scanning every two to three weeks. Wow. And to give you perspective, I like I said, I do have around 1,000 rules currently in my backlog. And an 18-hour development, 15 to 18-hour development day, I can probably process 50 to 70 rolls in one day, and I can turn that around every three weeks. So I, I have enough work to keep me very busy for quite for the foreseeable future. Do you have anyone in mind to help you out if funding starts to come in on this? Have you had anyone it, volunteer or anything like that? I've had quite a few people reach out uh, to volunteer to help both process and scan uh, the rolls of film. Um, we haven't commissioned anyone yet. Obviously, like I said, we don't really have funding, um, even on a volunteer basis. But we do like to keep things in-house because of what we've processed thousands of rolls already. And we've really kind of figured out how to handle and deal with these older degraded rolls of film. And that's not something that you can just easily hand over to someone else. So we are keeping it pretty close to the chest right now. Um, but obviously, as we get more and more, um, we're going to be able to we're going to need to start commissioning some others, some others to help out. So, yeah, that's definitely something we're looking looking at for uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. Now, has anyone sent you something and say and they noted that this is very important to me or this is very important historically? Has anyone sent you something like that? Yeah. Um, you know, when I very first started the Rescue Film Project, the whole concept was rolls of film with an orphan that have been orphaned from the photographer or orphaned from the people who they belong to. But as the the project became more and more uh, present in the community, people started saying, hey, I have rolls of film that I shot myself, but I shot them 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and I would never have gotten these processed, or I would have completely forgotten about them until I heard about your project. So then we decided that those are definitely images that we want to include in the archive. Hmm. And since that, some of the stories we have gotten, just to share a few, um, just um, a few weeks ago, we had a woman contact us saying that she had about 30 rolls of color film that she had shot of just her sons and her family when they were her sons were very young, probably about 30 years ago. And at the time, they could not afford to get them processed. So that's why she had so many. And as time went on, she kind of forgot about it. And then it got so old, she did not trust the processing of that film to a big uh, big processing house and unfortunately and it's tragic um her son was murdered and she said it would just mean the world to her if she could send us those images and if she could have the the pictures and we said of course uh that is definitely something that we would love to be part of and we would be honored that they would trust us with with those rolls of film um and so we have those rolls and we will be processing them in the next batch well, another one for that one yeah, yeah, um, they're they're color film. They're more modern, so generally we can get we can get images off of those. So that that's kind of a, a special moment for us. And um, another batch, a gentleman in Maine sent us, I believe, fourteen rolls of medium format black and white that his father shot when he was extremely young on a voyage to Antarctica for a military venture. Wow. And um, he says he has no idea what's on the rolls, but he did have one developed picture in the batch, and it was his father with another man standing next to a walrus. Oh. And uh, th- that role, uh, those rolls potentially have another extreme historical significance to them because I think that the, the, the voyage that they were on was something that was had some uh, historical value to them. So I'm going to research it more and talk to the, talk to the gentleman, but... Yeah, so, I mean, there's just stories after stories of stuff like that. And then, you know, we just get a lot of roles that are like, hey, I found this in the camera, and I've, I've held on to it for 20 years because I had no idea what to do with it, and I'm sending it to you. And uh, that just happens daily. Now, what about 
anyone tried to send you any, you know, old, uh, I think it is eight millimeter or whatever it was that uh, went in projectors, you know, video film. Yeah, motion film. We yeah, almost daily people are asking us about that, and that's j- definitely an area that we really want to get into. Problem with eight millimeter film processing and sixty millimeter film processing, it's very expensive and it requires a much better setup than what we have uh, for ourselves. But we do have relationships with others who can process motion film, so we are trying to secure some grant money to help us uh, cover the processing of eight millimeter film, so we can start accepting those. Um, donations into our project. So, yeah, that is kind of phase two of film rescuing. I think there's been recently in the last number of years, there's been projects out there to preserve, you know, old movies. And I know that a lot of them are on some type of silver. I can't remember what the what it's called, but they're uh, flammable. Um, and I know that there's a lot of digitizing of that type of film to preserve it, you know, for for future generations. Now that you're doing this digitally, so you're, ba- you're basically doing the same thing in, in a different type of way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, we don't say image quality is an amazing – we're not as worried about image quality. And so the great thing about digital is that since most of the negatives that we process are very thin and damaged – we could never print them in a dark room because it just wouldn't come out or we could, but the, the results just wouldn't be very good. So we can scan them in and we can alter them digitally. And so it's really the kind of merging of the two processes, digital and film. A lot of people talk about, you know, film versus digital, the hybrid, the hybrid between those two is the best way to approach this project. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, what is the strangest thing you've seen so far when you've developed or, you know, just like shocking, uh, but we won't, you know, have to go into any details of anything that uh, we don't want to talk about on a show like this. But I mean, what is something you can talk about that was kind of unusual? Yeah, well, you know, and honestly, that's where a lot of people's minds go the very first time they hear about the project. They're like, oh, I bet you found some pretty crazy, weird, messed up stuff. And honestly, we haven't. Um, the yeah. thing is that most of the, all, most of the, like 95% of the images in the archive are amateur photography. It's it's photos of families taking pictures of vacations and birthdays and things like that. They're very intimate because they never assumed that these moments would be seen by anyone other than their family. But really, there's nothing out of the ordinary. And I don't know if that's because people who take pictures of things out of the ordinary get their film processed so no one else can see them. That's or, um, yeah. Or that. But, I mean, we, we have a small handful of things. We've got a small bit of, um, like, nudity, some a little bit of drug use. But those are never, never images that we would... Um, reveal to the public because we never want the archive to seem like an invasion of privacy or that sure. we are making fun of or in, um, or we are um, indicting someone, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But what I, I, I kind of meant by that is, um, and I understand exactly what you're saying, is um, was there anything, has there been anything unusual, um, say, even historically that you've seen that you just were kind of shocked when you saw it? Huh, I got to think on that one. Like I said, we have 5,500 er- images in the archive currently, so there's a lot to think about. Um, <laughs> okay. Of, of a historical nature, honestly, I, I, nothing is standing out as being odd or out of the ordinary. They're just all extremely unique. And and what I really, what we find a lot of the time that's, I guess, odd or unique is not just the image themselves, but 
what the image has become over the years as it's been degraded and been exposed to moisture and things like that. We get some really cool, interesting effects from mold and um, scratches, and sometimes the film paper backing sticks to the film, and it completely alters the look and feel of that image. And then at that point, it's almost like a new thing. It's not just a picture. It's almost like this new piece of art that has that tells a story of what it's gone through. And uh, we feel that those images that have those defects are actually... I don't know, slightly more significant because it tells more of a story of what that role has gone through over the past 50 or 60 years. And we feel that those defects are almost as important as the image itself. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you something really bizarre and kind of bizarre for a show like this is um, I, I've been following this thing where there was an estate sale uh, several years ago, I think 10 or 15 years ago. And there was a bunch of slides and photos in the lot um, where this woman bought and she had, and I guess it, um, in the last year or two, there was some like water damage. So she starts taking these pictures out and she never really looked at them. Um, she starts looking at them and she sees like Eisenhower and she sees, you know, some interesting images. And when she's taking the box apart, um, uh, something fell out on the ground and carefully wrapped up were these two slides from about the 1940s or so. And are you ready for this? They're supposed to be um, aliens. <laughs> and this is going to be, uh, I guess, in Mexico. Uh, I don't know where these were, but I guess they're going to, like, expose these to scientists and something coming up. So it should be interesting um, just to follow it and find out what happens with that whole thing. Sometime in May or something, it's supposed to come out. <laughs> hey, if I find pictures of aliens, you will be the first to know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what I was asking about, kind of unusual. <laughs> if uh, No, but I understand the effects of... I've seen strange effects with the film, and I have a, a, a friend that was a photographer for years and purposely did, you know, like the double... Uh, what do they call it? Double exposures and things like that just to get great effects. Mm-hmm. Well, we get... There's so many... We have a lot of double, triple, and like quadruple exposures in the project, and it's not because it was the intent of the photographer to take those, honestly. It was because their camera was malfunctioning, which is a large reason why I think we got the role of film. So we do get a lot of accidental double and triple exposures, uh, but they are really – some of them are really unique and interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Now, with all this backlog that you have, are you still looking for film yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. The majority of the film in our backlog was procured by myself, actively searching and purchasing film from around the country. Yeah, I mean, as we get more and more donations, we prioritize those over what I myself find. So that lo- that backlog in particular, the stuff that I procure, is only going to grow until I can process all the contributed film. So earlier you mentioned that most of these are amateur. Do you have any professional films yeah i mean we can only assume by the quality and the framing of the photographs that they are shot by a professional but yeah we do have a selection obviously the world war ii images were shot by either a professional or a very uh, qualified hobbyist um uh, we just processed a batch of black and white out of california we had about four or five rolls and the photographer it looked like they were shooting on they were shooting on a square format camera like a hasselblad or a roloflex mm-hmm. and uh i'm assuming that they were some kind of journalist but the images that they shot were incredible he took a bunch of pictures of a sculptor who is sculpting these massive heads and these busts one is a massive head of like abraham lincoln and others um I'm, I'm, i haven't been able to identify just yet so that's really interesting he has some really cool images of uh of a circus going on of elephants and tigers and things like that um 
so yeah, we do we do have a small selection of what you would consider professional photos. We have some from the '70s that look like they're shot from by professional photographers on a road trip, um, and so you can see that they are taking pictures of themselves, but also taking pictures of like landscapes. And there's this one shot of this woman walking away from a scene where they have this motorcycle in the middle of this field with a bunch of bounce cards around it and she's walking away as if she's going to get something and someone like took a behind the scenes picture of that scene um so yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable to see those professional photos but honestly the ones that really tell the stories are the amateur photos Hmm. Uh, absolutely were you able to figure out the sculptor no i have not had time to research yet i literally just finished scanning them in a couple days ago all right i'll tell you if you would if you're able to send me that image i'd like to see if i could figure that out Sure, I'll send you two. I'll send you one of the sculptors sculpting a, a bust, and then I'll show you one. I'll send you one of just the Abraham Lincoln head by itself. Yeah, that should be able to be researched if it went anywhere special. So as this is moving along, where do you see this is going in the future? We've been getting asked that question a lot, actually, since obviously the Rescued Film Project has been taking off faster than I could have imagined. And really what we've come to decide is we really want the Rescued Film Project to grow into an online archive, community-based archive for people to go to search and research images and lend their own expertise to researching these images. The idea is that we will have a massive online archive, kind of like a Wikipedia, where people can go view images, tag them based on the locations and the research that they have themselves, and then continue to add to the archive. Uh, So that's inevitably where we want it to end up. Um, Outside of that, we want to continue to rescue obviously motion film is the next step and then we want to have traveling art galleries and just find the best avenues possible to share the project and get it in front of as many people as possible because this film pretty soon is going to be gone we're kind of at a tipping point we feel and so we are rapidly trying to get as much of this film as we possibly can right now before it's all gone now a film should be stored in like a cool dry place basically right Yes, film, the best way to preserve film is to store it in a cold, as cold as possible, dry environment. Generally, for most people, that's putting it in a Ziploc bag, squeezing out all the air, and putting it in your freezer. Really? That's that's the best way? In your freezer? In your freezer or as cold of a temperature as possible. But honestly, I feel that if a roll of film has been just out in the open for a long period of time, if it's just been in someone's garage or someone's basement... I actually prefer that people do not put those in their freezer because I feel that manipulating the temperature variances at that point mm-hmm. might actually damage the film. Because if you go from a more stable state, even if it isn't at cold temperatures, and then you put it in the cold and then you bring it back out into the heat or the normal temperature to process it, I feel that might degrade the film. Um, so for the vintage films, I actually prefer that people just leave them in whatever environment they were. And then if they want to send them to us, send them to us, and then we'll store them in the exact same way. I saw your your film through a friend on Facebook. They they put actually posted your link of the World War II images on my timeline, and that's how I got interested in, in contacting you for this podcast. So what happens if this thing, like, goes super viral and all of a sudden you're getting a 1,000 rolls a day, and what are you going to do then? <laughs> uh, I will scale appropriately. <laughs> um, I'll have to look at – I mean, I am a, I have a full-time job on top of this. I work 40 to 60 hours on my full-time job as a video producer, oh, wow. and I probably spend about 40 to 60 hours, if not more, a week outside of that on the Rescued Film Project. Um, so if my workload increases with the Rescued Film Project, obviously I'll have to figure that out, bring on other people to help out. 
Um, but that's the goal. We want the project to grow exponentially um, because we feel that these images are important, and we really want the end result, that online archive, to be the largest uh, source available for people to search and research these images. So one more time, your website, and do you have an email address you'd like to throw out there as well? Yeah, our website is simply rescuedfilm.com, rescued in the past tense. Um, our email and all our contact information is on there, but if you want to send us an email directly, you can send it to info at rescuedfilm.com. We also are in several social venues, uh, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, and we post uh, daily images on there. So if you want to see daily images from the archive, um, those are some great places to go. And I'm also going to talk to you offline here about a new startup that I'm involved in called gemmer.com which is a social media for collectors. We'll talk about that later. But thank you so much for joining us. This is a great effort you're doing, and I wish you all the luck, and I'm hoping to help you. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, and just for all your listeners, just keep your eyes open for any rolls of film that need rescuing. Uh, You you know where to send them. I will definitely keep my eyes open now. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast at antiqueauctionforum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.